couple of weeks ago, we began this brand new series called From Porch to Patio. And here's the concept of the series is that we live our life so many times on the porch. You know, your neighborhood you live in, you walk out of the porch and you wave the neighbors and, and say hi to them. Maybe somebody comes and knocks on your door and you steps out, you step out on the porch and you have a five minute nice conversation with them. But it's not always personal. It really, when we live life on a porch, those are those nice conversations, but you don't really invite them into your life too much. But our goal in life, because God made us for community, is to invite people in our lives from our front porch to our patio. Because the patio is when you get to sit down. The patio is when you get to have a barbecue. The patio is kind of that time that they come over and they may never leave because you're getting to know one another so, so much. And so we're in this series that we're saying, isn't life better if we live life from not our porches, but from our patios, in our neighborhoods, in our workplace, and even here at church? And so we're looking at this series over community. And we talked the very first week as we talked community that we learned that God designed us for community from the beginning of time. We were even created by God when he was in community with God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And because we were made in his image and he made us in community, then that means he made us for community. And so every single one of us, you may say, well, I'm kind of an introvert, Keith. I don't like community so much. It doesn't mean you have to like a party of 20 people. But God has made you, regardless of who you are, to need people around you for relationship. And so that's what we talked about the first week. The second week, last week, we talked about what happens in community and specifically what happens in biblical community. When we get together in groups here at church or in our homes or just within the biblical community, we talked about that. We discover, we learn God's teaching. We learn God's ways. We talked about engaging and just fellowship with one another. Also within community, there's the care that takes place. And lastly, within community, biblical community, we learn to, to depend on God through prayer, that we all come together because sometimes my faith is not what it should be. But if I'm doing life with you, if I'm doing community with you, I learn to realize that your faith, your dependence on God can help my own dependence on God. So the first couple of weeks of this series, we talked about um, that we're who the all, we're all um, we're all created for community. We talked about what is community, but here's what I want us to talk about today. What happens or what are the benefits when you are in community? And so I'm going to take us to a Bible story, a scripture found in Acts chapter 10. And if you're kind of new to the faith, maybe you're coming with somebody today and you've not done church this much, or maybe you're like, I've come to church a lot, but I've never read the Bible. I'm going to take you to a story in the Bible that I'm just going to kind of warn you right now. It's a little strange. Okay, now that seems weird for the preacher to say that something in the Bible is strange. Now, it's not strange because God is not strange. It's strange because if you're not used to reading the Bible, there are some things that takes place in the story. You're kind of sitting back going, whoa, like really? Does that really happen still? Did that happen back then? And the problem is sometimes people read a story like this in the Bible and they get so focused on kind of the strange pieces in it that they lose the real message in the story. And so here's my challenge to you. If you're here and you're kind of new to the faith or you're checking God out, don't get lost in some of the stranger details. Just go with them because there is a picture, there's a story, there's an element in the big part of the story that I think you'll look back on, wow, that was good to hear it. So Acts chapter 10, and here's how it starts out in Acts chapter 10. It says this, in Caesarea, there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius, who was a captain of the Italian regiment. Now, let me just kind of stop there because that's an important part of this story. He was of the Roman guard. He was of the Roman government. He was not a Jewish person. 
Now, for some, that may not mean anything, but back in these days, there were kind of two sets of people. There were the Jewish people, and there were the non-Jewish people. There were the Gentiles, which is many times what the non-Jewish people were called, and the Jewish people. And this particular guy, Cornelius, was a Gentile. The Gentiles back in those days didn't really, and this is going to sound kind of strange, but stay with me. The Gentiles back in those days didn't really have access to God like you and I do. Okay, God had kind of looked and favored the Jewish people. So the Gentile people were kind of these ones over here on the side. And so the fact that Cornelius was a man, a captain, and we're about to find out that he actually had a relationship. He had a leaning towards God. It's very, very interesting in our story. So let me keep reading it. But just remember, Cornelius is not really in the chosen people, not the Jewish people, not the God people. So it says this in verse 2, he was a devout God-fearing man, as everyone else in his household was. He gave generously to the poor, and he prayed regularly to God. And then one afternoon, about three o'clock, he had a vision. This is kind of one of those stranger pieces. He had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming toward him. Cornelius, the angel said, and Cornelius stared at him now in terror. So can you put yourself in Cornelius' place for a second? He knew of God, knew about God, had a respect and a reverence for God. So he goes down and he takes a nap one day, and he doesn't just have a dream. He has this vision. And in this vision, an angel comes down and says, hey, Cornelius, kind of gets his attention a little bit there. And Cornelius stared at him in terror. What is it? What is it, sir? He asked the angel. And the angel replied, your prayers and your gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Now, send some men to Joppa, which was a town next to it, um, this particular city, and summon a man named Simon Peter. He is staying with Simon a tanner who lives near the seashore. And as soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called two of his household servants and devout soldier and one of his personal attendants. Now, I'm going to go ahead and story tell the rest of it to you. I really encourage you, go home to do today and read all of cha Acts chapter 10. It's an amazing, amazing story. So here's Cornelius. He gets this vision from this angel and says, go find Peter. The angel doesn't say why he should find Peter. He doesn't even really tell him where Peter is except for he's in the next town over. He says, just go find Peter. So Cornelius rose up because he was a man of prestige, a man of power that was in the army. He was able to have people around him that could do some of his work. And so the Bible says that he called two or three people around him and he sent them to the next town to go get Peter. Now imagine this. He looks at his servants. He looks at a couple of soldiers going, just go get Peter. They're going, Peter who? And he just goes, Peter? I don't know. The angel just said Peter. Well, where's he live? I don't know. Well, where should we go? Just a Joppa. That's all I know. What should we tell Peter? I don't know. Just go get Peter. So imagine kind of how strange this is going on right now, right? So the Bible says this few people, these friends, these servants, these workers of, of, of Cornelius, takes and goes to Joppa to find Peter. And so the Bible says that they get there. But all of a sudden, as you read Acts chapter 10, it switches to another story taking place, and that's the story of Peter. And the Bible lets us know this, that Peter went up to take a nap because some folks that he was staying with were cooking dinner, so he went to take a nap. And while he laid down, he had a vision. In fact, the Bible says, if you look in the New Living Translation, he was in a trance. And in this trance, this is what he saw, this giant sheet being lowered from heaven, 
Remember, if you're new to the faith, you're checking things out. Don't check out right now. I told you, there's little strange details in here. He sees this giant sheet being lowered from heaven, and in this sheet are reptiles and animals and birds of all kind. And this sheet is being laid lowered down, and the voice says, hey, Peter, go cook and eat all these animals. Now, that's not a big deal to you and I. Remember I said that Peter's part of the Jewish faith? One of the things that we know about the Jewish faith is that it is distinguished by the things that they would do or not do, the things they would eat and not eat, the people they would hang out with and not hang out with. There was a lot of do's and don'ts, this and that in the Jewish faith, and that's what distinguished their faith from so many other religions. And one of the rules that Peter had in his Jewish faith is there was only certain animals that he could eat, and there was other animals, not that he just couldn't eat, like if these animals got touched to the, on the plate of these other animals that he could eat, like you had to throw the plate away. And not only that, like if someone in the kitchen prepared these foods, you had to kind of cast that person off. They were just considered very, very unclean. So this sheet that's being lowered down that has all these animals in it, it included some of the clean animals and it included a lot of the unclean animals. And so this voice tells Peter, Peter, go cook and eat all these animals. Now, Peter's a good Jewish guy. He was a follower of Jesus. He was one of his disciples. He goes, whoa, no, no, no. I'm a good Jewish person. I don't eat those animals. And the voice said, why, if God declared something clean, would you not eat it? And God declares all these animals on this sheet clean. Go cook, eat, and enjoy. So you can imagine Peter's going, huh? This is kind of strange. And I'm guessing Peter may be a lot like us, a little hard-headed, a little stubborn, a little set in our own specific spiritual ways, because the Bible says that he had to have that same vision three times over. Okay? It's like he can't get it the first time. God says, okay, let's repeat it and try it again. You still didn't get it. Let's repeat it and try it again. You still didn't get it. But three times he had this vision. And the Bible says that when Peter woke up, he's still scratching his head going, okay, it makes sense, but it doesn't make sense. I get it, but I don't get it. And then about that time, while Peter's up in his bedroom trying to figure this all out, the guys from Cornelius' group, they show up at this house where Peter's staying. And the Bible says they're at the gate and they're going, hey, we're here for a guy named Peter. Everybody's on the house is going, who are you? And how did you know Peter stayed there? And all of a sudden in Peter's vision, he gets his voice going, go on downstairs. Somebody's there for you. So he walks downstairs and there is, as he looks outside the gate of this house, there are the Gentile people, the soldiers and the servants from Cornelius' house. And they're standing there going, don't know why, but we're supposed to pick up Peter. And Peter's on the front porch going, Hey, and he says this, come on in. And then he looks and says, guys, this is kind of weird because normally I wouldn't even let you pass my front porch. I wouldn't even normally let you pass my gate. Usually I want you dirty, unclean people to be walking on that side of the road. But there's this moment in spiritual time where the unclean and the clean are coming. What we're about to find out, it's more than just animals in a sheet in a dream. It's people in this world that we're about to find out that God is doing this amazing moment in the life, the spiritual history of all of us, that God is at point going, you know what? It doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, clean or unclean, God wants you all in his household. And that's the story we're about to learn.
And so Peter invites these dirty Gentile people into his home. Do you see some of the norms he's breaking right here? He's like going past the taboos. He invites them in. And the Bible says this. He says, yeah, I'll go with you. But let's hang out here and have a meal. Let's spend the night together here and we'll leave tomorrow. So all of a sudden now you don't just have Peter over here. You don't have a couple of Gentiles over here. You've got this clan of people together. The Bible says they spend the night. The next day they begin journeying back to where Cornelius was. And I'm thinking to myself, I wonder what that walk was like. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us, but have they really blended? Or are they like, hey, dude, you're Gentiles. Y'all walk on that side of the road. We're the Jewish people. We'll walk on this side of the road. Or are they just talking like they've been best friends forever? Who knows what that walk was like? But the Bible lets us know, again, Acts chapter 10, if you don't normally read the Bible, go home and read this today. It is like a really, like a drama piece of the Bible. So they get back to Caesarea where Cornelius is, and they all go to his house. So here's Cornelius. He's been waiting because he knows God sent them to get Peter. He's waiting for them. But because he's expecting such something, whatever it is, he doesn't know. The Bible says this, that he went and got some of his friends and relatives and they're waiting at the house with Cornelius for this clan to get up with Peter from, from Joppa. And so the Bible says they all get together. And Peter looks at Cornelius. And Cornelius looks at Peter. They don't know why they're coming together right now. And all of a sudden, Cornelius says, please come in. Let's sit down and talk. And this whole bunch of people, this whole group of people, this whole clan of people, or might we say in today's vernacular, this big community of people entered into the house, into Cornelius' house. And they sit down and Peter goes, I know why God sent you to get me. He goes, I got to tell you about Jesus. Cornelius, you know part of the story. You know about God and his goodness and all this, and you're trying to honor and serve him, but there's a piece of it you don't know. I got to tell you about Jesus. And Peter had walked with Jesus. He was one of his disciples, and he told him all the stories of, of Jesus healing people and teaching people. But then he got to the best part of the story. He said, but Jesus died. But more than he died, three days later, he was resurrected. And Jesus is now telling all of us that he doesn't want us to be group one and group two. He wants us to be one big group together. And he goes, that's why God has brought us here. And then the Bible says this at the end of Acts chapter 10. It says, about that time, the Holy Spirit fell on the group, both the Jews and the Gentiles. Now, the Holy Spirit, that was God's presence. When Jesus went to heaven, he said, I'll leave you a comforter. I'll leave you the Holy Spirit. It's really just the presence, just the feeling, just knowing that Jesus is still with them. Even though he's not there physically, he's there with them, just with them in his presence. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit fell on them. And in this particular case, in this particular time in history, the Bible says as the Holy Spirit fell, they began to speak in tongues. They began to speak in different languages. And again, don't get caught up on that because that's not the big part of the story. The big part of the story is this, is that both the Jews and the Gentiles were experiencing God through the Holy Spirit. That he was bringing these two groups going, and you are now one and finally, Peter looks at all of them and says, and you know what? If God's in all this, why don't you get baptized in the name of Jesus? In other words, why don't we all follow Jesus regardless of our background, regardless of our race, regardless if we think we're clean or unclean? Let's all be baptized and follow Jesus together. So that was the story, Acts chapter 10. And you may be going, okay, Keith, nice story. But why are you telling us that story today if we're talking about the benefits of the Holy Spirit? 
Let me give you this. Anytime you look at scripture or many times when you look at scripture, there are kind of two stories going on. There's what I call the upper story and there's the lower story. The upper story, when you read scripture and you study it, that's the part of scripture that, that I think when you read it, God's really wanting you to get the real meaning out of it. And the real purpose of this story is for you and I to realize that God calls all of us, regardless of who we are, regardless of where we come from in life, he calls all people and he set forth through Jesus that we can have a relationship with him. The forgiveness that we talked about as we sat at the table and took the Lord's Supper together, the forgiveness is not doled out to certain special, special people. It's not doled out to certain qualified people. The Bible says this, that you and I are all unqualified. The Bible says this, that you and I are all broken people. The Bible says this, it doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, we're all sinners. And that sin separates us from God. And so this story, when it's put in scripture, is to let us know it doesn't matter who we are, we can all have a relationship with God because of Jesus Christ. That's the upper story. That's the really walkaway point. But there's another point, the lower story that I think we can learn from also. And here's what I think the lower part, the lower story in this passage is. Did you notice as I told the story, who all was included? It was a few people over here. It was a few people over here. It was a group of people. It was told and it happened in community. Can you imagine if this story was rewritten? Can you imagine in this story, if Peter would have had the vision, the sheet would have came down, the animals would have been there, the voice would have told him, go eat in all things, you're okay, Peter. But Peter didn't have anybody to talk about it with. Can you, can you imagine if Cornelius never existed and Peter never had someone to go visit and, and bring back to? If Peter had experienced God, this great truth all by himself. Can you imagine just kind of, not that it would have been less, not that it would have been not as much discovery, but just discovery of it would have been like. There's something when we get to discover truth. There's something about experiencing God in community that it drives it deeper inside of us. Best way I can illustrate this is this way. Many years ago when I was a student pastor in Texas, we would take our yearly exodus to Breckenridge to take those kids skiing. So every year we'd load up about 50 kids on the bus. We would drive all the way from Texas, 10, 12, 13, 14, 15 hours. Most of those kids had never seen snow. They have the time of their life learning to ski. We had load the bus back to go home. And it was our tradition many years ago that on the way home, we would always stop by in Denver, this little teeny tiny Mexican restaurant called Casa Bonita. So, so you're like me, you're watching the news, it's coming back online, right? Well, so uh, my friend Ryler, he's a new intern with us here at the church, he's here, he's never been to Denver before, and I'm like, you've never been to Casa Bonita? And I start trying to explain Casa Bonita to him. I, he just sat there going, really? Like you raise a flag, there's a person diving into the water and you get all the food you, he couldn't get it. But I guarantee you, I could find any one of those 50 students that rode that bus with us and they stopped at Casa Bonita with me and I could call them on the phone or text them right now going, remember Casa Bonita? Like, oh yeah, Casa Bonita. And I guarantee you this, if Casa Bonita itself didn't make an impact on their lives, if they sat towards the back of the bus by the restroom, the ride home made an impact on their life after Casa Bonita. I promise you that. 
But, but here's what I'm getting at. There are times in our lives, whether it is just eating or experiencing some movie or spiritual, that when we experience it within community, there is a benefit because you get a lot more, oh, wow, because you're seeing it work not just in your lives, you're seeing it work in his lives and her lives, and all of a sudden this experience becomes deeper and greater in their lives. And so I think one of the benefits of community, one of the benefits that we find, and this is the first fill in the blank if you're taking notes, community creates an environment for life transformation. Write that in there. Community creates an environment for life transformation. Now, does that mean God can't transform your life alone? Absolutely not. God does things individually in us. But there's something about when we come together and you're seeing other lives change and you're seeing these lives change and your faith is working into my faith and iron and sharpening iron. There's something about that. So one of the benefits that when we step into community, we create an environment for life transformation. Let me give you a few more benefits, I think, as I think about community. I think another benefit is this. Community meets practical needs. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at Acts chapter 2, verse 44 and 45, and this is what it says. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. And so when community, when relationships come together, if someone's lacking something, there's other people there to take care of those and our practical needs. I remember several months ago when I first got here, I got a phone call. They said, do you have a member of your church, Linda Sinclair? I'm not even sure if Linda's here. She had gone to New York to experience Broadway and do some traveling and vacationing with a friend. She had been there one day and she tripped and fell and broke her ankle like in two or three places. So she's all the way in New York. She is there by herself and she has nowhere to go except for the hospital. She has a surgery. She comes home. She can't put any weight on that leg at all. She lives by herself. She's got cats to take care of. She's got to take care of her house. She's got to try to eat, but she can't even get out of the house. She can't even get around the house. So do you know what happened in her life? Acts chapter 2 happened in her life. Community came around her, and people took care of her cats. People brought her food. Like, Linda, what do you need? What do you need? And I'm going, that is one of the benefits, the practical benefits of community, because you have relationships around you that people can step in, and when you're short on something, when you need something, they are there for you. I just wish I would have experienced community before my kids went off to college, because they could help pay for college. That's my real regret in life. Let me give you another benefit about community. When you're in community, community also, not just practical things they provide, it also provides emotional support. Galatians chapter 6 verse 2 says this, share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. You know, there's a moment in time in the Jewish life that obeying the law of Christ meant doing all the this and that and eat this and don't eat this. But Jesus came on and said, you know what? It's not about what you eat or what you don't eat. It's not, about, it's not about where you go or where you don't go or who you hang out with or who you don't hang out with. It's about sharing each other's burdens. There's a place called the National Center for Biotechnology. They do all this research around the world. And they were doing some research going, okay, there are certain zones. And they identify them as the blue zones in the world. And in these particular blue zones, the reason they're identified that way is because in these zones in the world, people live longer. In fact, to be in a blue zone, you have to have a certain percentage of your people that live to be 100 years or more. 
And so once they located and found these designated blue zones, they began to do the research and going, what is it that's going on in these particular areas around the world that people live so long? You know what they found out? That there's a strong sense of community and tight social circles in these blue zones. Now, not pastors, not preachers, but scientists have determined when you live in community and you have this social emotional support, there's a good chance you might live longer than if you don't have that. In fact, one particular doctor said this, social support is one of the key things that we try to strive for when helping a patient recover from depression or any other kind of emotional problem from stress. He says this, it's really important to not feel alone when you feel so emotionally drained. And so when you're in a group, when you have biblical community around you, not just people on the porch you wave to, but you have people in your life that they invite you and you invite them to your patio, that you invite them into your life. There is an emotional support there that helps us in our own life every single day in our emotional health. Let me give you another benefit. When you're in community, community leads to a feeling of being fulfilled. Community leads to feeling of being fulfilled. Here's what it says in 1 Peter chapter 4. God has given each of us, each of you, a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Then do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Do you realize this? God has created you for a purpose. So many of us try to find that purpose in our jobs. And many times, if we're lucky enough, those two combine. But you may not find your purpose in life through your vocation. Sometimes we try to find our, voca- or our purpose in life through our hobbies or through real other relationships. Our purpose in life is God has given us a specific purpose. But people wander around lost and hopeless and just feeling empty because they don't know what their purpose is. But I believe when you join a community, those folks in that community begin to know you more and understand you more, and they will help you find your purpose. And it gives you a place to fulfill your purpose, to act out that purpose. You know, the Bible says this, there's a gift of speaking. Not everybody will get on on stage and speak. Doesn't mean you don't have the gift of speaking. You may not just have the opportunity to speak. But when you find a group of people that you are called community, biblical community, you have the opportunity to speak into one another's lives. You have the gift of hospitality. You can use it within that group of those people. And so when it gets down to it, one of the things that groups and community does, it really helps us as we find a fulfillment in our own life. Let me give you a couple more and we'll wrap up today. Here's the, here's the fifth one. Community, when you find community, community makes you more aware of the needs of others. Community helps you become more aware of the needs of others. We've talked for the last couple of weeks that we live in this culture of individualism. It's all about me, 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 me. And it's so easy in this culture of individualism that we all live in become egocentric. You know what the egocentric means? That means when you look in the mirror going, wow, it's really nice to know the most important person in the world. That's what it means to be egocentric. And we have a tendency because of we are by nature broken, we have a tendency to default into that attitude of egocentrism. But when we live life in community, when you live life in a group, it leads us to realize, ooh, there's more people in this mirror than just myself. 
there's this person, this person, this person, this person. So when we talk about meeting each other's emotional needs, when we talk about meeting each other's practical needs, we become aware of those and it gets us out of ourselves. Here's what the book of Galatians, or first, the, book of first, the book of 1 Thessalonians says. Gently encourage the stragglers. I think that means the people look in the mirror and thinking they're the most important thing. Gently encourage the stragglers and reach out for the exhausted, pulling them to their feet. Be patient with each person, attentive to individual needs, and be careful that when you get on each other's nerves, you don't snap at each other. Can it get any more practical than that? Look for the best in each other and always do your best to bring it out. So when we live in community, one of the benefits is we become aware of the needs of one another. Now, the next step is we get to meet those needs, but we have to become aware. And the way we become aware of the needs of others is to quit looking in this mirror of individualism that our society so advocates. Now, let me give you the last one. When you live in community, what's the benefit? Community encourages you to be more like Jesus. Community encourages you to be more like Jesus. The book of Hebrews says this in chapter 10. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. So when you choose to step out of living by your lone self and you step in a vulnerable, transparent moment with a group of others, it's iron sharpening iron and they will help us to be more like Jesus. So let me ask you a question. Can you imagine what your life would be like if people around you offered to help when it was obvious life was too hectic for you? How much better would your life be if the people around you, the ones you called friends, the one that you called your group, when they saw that, whoo, this person's kind of getting overwhelmed, they stepped towards you to help out. Can you imagine what your life would be like? Can you imagine what your life would be like if you had trusted friends that you could laugh with, that you could cry with, that you could vent to if you needed to, but you knew they'd be a safe place that you could get what's inside, outside. Can you imagine what your life was, would be like if you had those kind of friends around you? Can you imagine what life would be like for you if you woke up in the morning feeling like your life had a purpose and you went to bed at night feeling fulfilled. Wouldn't that be a good life? Can you imagine what life would be like, life if you weren't so self-focused, but you actually had margin for others in your life? And can you imagine what your life would look like if you looked in the mirror and instead of seeing a version of yourself that you don't like, you saw a better version, a clearer picture of Jesus? Can you imagine a life like that? And here's what I propose to you. Not because I'm smart, not because we're inventing this thing called groups. It's because of what the word of God set up for us. God designed us to be in community. God designed us to live life close with other people. Here's what I would propose to you. Your life could be more like that. Not perfectly, because we know life is not perfect, right? But your life could resemble more like that if you live life in groups, if you live life in community as God's word designed. That's why we're doing this series from porch to patio. Because I'm afraid so many people in our society, but here's what I'm afraid. Even people in our church that we call South Sub, you wave and smile and you see people and going, hey, I'll see you next week. But that's life on a porch. And what God's word is saying, don't live life on a porch, live life on the patio. 
He's going, if you want those things that we talked about, you don't find those benefits on the porch. You find those benefits on the patio. And so the reason we're taking four, five, six weeks in this, in this one series is because not because we want to grow our group's ministry and pat ourselves on the back and say, well, what a great church. Look at all the groups we have. That doesn't get us anywhere down the road. But we believe groups are the vehicle to the life that God wants us to live. And you will hear me beg, plead, kick, nudge, whatever it takes, because as your pastor, my heart is to help you step into a role, step into a place that you can be more like Jesus for all of us. And so here's my paid advertisement. Are you ready? If you are not currently in a biblical community, and there's different ways to get it, but we think one of the best ways to get it is a group here at the church. If you're not currently in a group, can I just beg you, plead you, kick you, urge you, whatever it takes, let's get you in a group. Because it's there that you will experience the benefits of the patio. And when you experience the benefits of the patio, you're living in the lane that God wants you to. And there's even so much more that we didn't talk about that you'll experience as well. So here's a couple of things as we talk about groups. We're now in the group sign-up season, okay? If you're not in a group, and when we say group, we have all kinds of groups here. We have classes that meet here on Sunday morning in between the two services. That's a type of group. We have groups that meet here at the church. It's kind of a life group. We have groups that meet in homes. That's a life group. We have some activity classes. We have a praise moves. That's what it's called, praise moves, and it is a Christian yoga group that meets here. Okay, I've asked if I, if I could come. They said, no way, go find another group for that one. But we have all kinds of groups. So, and their groups meet at different times. Some meet on Monday, some meet on Tuesday, some meet on Sunday mornings. So you, we want to make sure there's no excuses going, well, they didn't have a group for me. Yes, we have a group for you. So here's what I need you to do. If you're not currently in a group, I need you to sign up for a group. You're going, but Keith, I don't know any people. Duh. That's why you're signing up in a group, okay? <laughs> wow, you're really catching on to how this thing works. It is scary the first time, but some of my best lifetime friendships come out of groups. My friends, the gardeners sit right over here. They would do anything for us. We would do anything for them. And we met them in a group. And we didn't hardly know each other, and there were some more couples, and it has changed our lives, not the group, but the relationships that we meet in the group. So I need you to try it out. Now, here's the good news. Our groups, we're setting them up where they're all going eight weeks. Now, some may go longer than eight weeks, but we're giving you an opportunity. You can step in the first week, which is September, starts September 10th next week. You can step in the first week and there's a get out of jail free card after eight weeks at the end of October. If you're going, Keith, you're a liar. Okay, those people were weird and I hated that group and I'll never go back. I want my money back. Come on back. I'll give your money back to you and we'll try you another group over there, okay? But there's a start and a stop in there. And so sign up. There's a couple of ways you can sign up. You can go online at the website and that's in the, on the church website. And I think we may have something right up there. If you go there, you can sign up for a group. Or if you want to, as you leave here today, walk right out these doors and there's a sign up pay, pay or sign up table out there, a group central, big poster. You'll see it, a big place up there. And they've got all the information about all the groups there, all the different kinds we have. But sign up today because next week we're kicking the groups off. And here's how we're kicking them off. First of all, next Sunday is kickoff Sunday, okay? It's kicking off groups and all things going on with it. But we're going to have fun with it. I'm encouraging you. I'm inviting you to wear your favorite 
football t-shirt or jer- football team jersey or t-shirt to the service next week. So for those that think you have to dress a certain way, you do have a certain uniform you have to wear next week, and that is called a football jersey or t-shirt, okay? So I hope you want to. Um, I said last week, I am changing my allegiance from God's team to the Denver Broncos, okay? I will no longer follow the Dallas Cowboys, at least in public, okay? I will have, promise you, I'm gonna have an orange shirt on next week. And then next Sunday night, kick our groups off. We're gonna all meet up here. We're gonna put you in a round table with your group so you can meet people for the first time. And we're gonna have a light dinner and just a fun time of kicking our groups off. So that's how we're starting all this. I need you to get in one, okay? If you have an excuse that you reason you can't get in one, come up to me, share that with me. And with great grace, I will look at you and say, that is no excuse at all. Get in that group, okay? I promise you, that's how this is going to work. So groups, it's not about groups. It's about community. And it's not even about community. It's about relationships that lead us to know Jesus closer in our life with him. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for this day. God, thank you for your word that it's real. Thank you that you not only set your word up, but God, you set the application up of your word today. So thank you, thank you, thank you for that, Jesus. So would you, Father, not my kicking, not my urging, Holy Spirit, would you lead us to know you better and to know you better through community? And that's what I pray. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.